when it comes to race, y'all gonna have to embrace the suck of this. You're gonna have to get through the suck in order to get on the other side. Because in actuality, part of the suck is y'all reclaiming your humanity. You gave up some of your humanity in order to participate in whiteness. So the suck is actually you starting to get back to a place where you reclaim your humanity and get back in line with the rest of humanity, as opposed to being the arbiters of what humanity is. Hey, it's Ryan here. Welcome to another episode of Levitate with Ryan Nell, the show where I talk to people who are changing the world for good. This show is supported by Levitate. Levitate harnesses the power of meditation to help companies and individuals find calm, connection, and clarity in a world that often feels chaotic. To find out more about what Levitate do, just head on over to www.levitate.london. That's www.levitate.london. Oh, and we would love to reach more people with this show, so please help us out by subscribing, rating, or sharing with a friend. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Minneapolis-based psychotherapist, Resma Menikem. Resma is a therapist who specializes in trauma, body-centered psychotherapy, and violence prevention. And his book, My Grandmother's Hands, which explains racism's effect on the body, has been on the New York Times bestseller list for the last 10 weeks. Resmer has appeared on both the Oprah Winfrey Show and Dr. Phil as an expert on conflict and violence. Resmer studied with the famous Bessel van der Kolk, multi-bestselling author of The Body Keeps the Score. And he also served as a counselor in Afghanistan on 53 US military bases. He is an absolute expert when it comes to trauma being stored in the body. And particularly, he is a leading thinker around racial trauma. Now, if that's a new term, then I promise that Resma will unpack it for you beautifully. I was beyond excited to book him for this show. And I can't wait for you to hear from him. Resma lives in Minneapolis which is something of a lightning rod at the moment for all things concerning race in America. It is the city, of course, in which George Floyd tragically met his death at police hands back in May this year. And as such, Resmer finds himself right at the center of the conversation. I just wanna warn you that this episode contains mature themes We talk about trauma and sexual violence and strong views about racism that will make you uncomfortable. So if you are easily triggered, then do consider sitting down for this one. And do please listen to it out of the earshot of children. If you are a young person and want to be part of the conversation, why not listen with a parent or guardian? Now, on the subject of discomfort, I was pretty uncomfortable going into this episode. 
I think I was intimidated by Resmer's stature. I was feeling very, very conscious of my own uh, ignorance around some of these topics. And so I found myself a little less talkative than usual, a little more inarticulate. However, Resmer was a pleasure to speak to, and he was never lost for words. And his voice is compelling. I can't wait for you to hear it now. So without further ado, let's hear from Resmer himself. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hey, man, how are you doing? Uh, just, I'm running, man. I got a lot of stuff happening right now. So it's, uh, it's just a lot. That's all. It's a lot. Yeah. You're on the New York Times bestseller list. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if somebody would have told me it would have been like this, I, I'd have, I, I wouldn't have said I don't want it, but I'd have been like, oh, okay. I'd have been a little bit more informed. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I imagine because of that too, your, your diary gets crazily booked up. So I'm man. so happy that we've, we found a bit of time to do this. Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the time. This is cool. Let's start by just welcoming you to the show. I'm joined here today by Rezma Menachem. You've had the most amazing career mm. in Afghanistan as a counselor, uh, mm. as a practicing psychotherapist, mm. as a, a multi-best-selling author now <laughs> at this point, and, yeah. uh, and a really, really interesting voice on racialized trauma, which I think is something that I'm only just scratching the surface of, of mm -hmm. understanding myself. So mm -hmm. I'm so delighted to have you here on the show. And mm. um, thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Appreciate that. Now, well, we were just chatting just before, but you're, you're joining from Minneapolis. Um, yeah. Here I am sitting in, in London, a mm -hmm. world away. Mm -hmm. um, in some sense, I think of Minneapolis as the epicenter of a lot of what's going on if we were only paying attention to the news cycle, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But I'd love to hear from your perspective, what's been going on for you, how, how yeah. you've been affected. Yeah, it's, um, it's, been, uh, it's been rough, man. It's been rough. I think, you know, I'm, so my book is on its seventh week of being on the New York Times bestseller. And mm. I don't take that lightly. My book, was doing well, but when brother George Floyd got murdered mm. and sister Brianna got shot and then brother Arbery got murdered and sister Brianna got murdered. The fact is, is that my book was doing well, but when that happened, it exploded. So there's a part of me that is um, very happy that my book is catching wind. And there's a part of me that also is grieving um, and is like this idea of the destruction of the black body is not new in America. It's not new terrain. The concept of policing and police and security guards and deputized white bodies killing and murdering and, 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 and destroying black bodies uh, with the support of the state is nothing new. This concept that there has been a cleave between white body supremacy and policing is fallacy. 
the concept of policing black bodies has always had a feral nature to it. And when I hear white bodies and white people say things like, well, I just didn't know. Yeah. And they think that that is a supportive thing to say. What they don't realize is that when you say that to a body of culture, when you say that, the actually the inverse happens inside of our bodies. We actually think you're now, you're dangerous. We actually think, and we actually experience this, 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 this sense that this stuff has been going on for four and 500 years, and it's particularly in this country. I'm not even talking about England or Australia or stuff like that yet, but in this country, mm-hmm. it's been going on and uh, for a very long time. And you're just now, Right. You're just now becoming aware of it. Right. And that means you're dangerous. That means anything that I say, it's like it's like an adult talking to a two year old about mortgage rates. Hmm. Right. <laughs> no matter what the baby says, you're going to be like, what the hell are you ta- like? What do you yeah. you have no idea what you're talking about? And so the collective grief, the collective mourning, the collective sense of dread and, you know, mixed with a little possibility is really palatable, not to me, but to my community right now. We're dealing with a lot of weight. Hmm. Um, we're, the sleeping is off for a lot of us. Our eating is off for a lot of us. Our rhythms are off. Um, I'm asking a lot of people, how are they, how are they sleeping? I'm not asking people how they're doing because I'm assuming that if you're in a black body that that you you have been impacted by this. Yeah. Um unless you have some type of personal you get either get accolades or you make your money by by supporting white body supremacy uh, yeah. in a black body unless you do that you you are affect you are being affected by what's happening and continues to happen to us. So yeah. Yeah. Talk to me, uh, you know, a little bit about you almost have a new like uh, a lexicon or, or language around um, white body supremacy, yeah, white skin yeah. privilege, uh, yeah. a lot of kind of embodied terms. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so my definition, my mooring definition, my mooring philosophy is what I call somatic abolitionism. I don't believe that we're going to abolish white body supremacy through mm-hmm. intellect. I don't believe we're going to appeal to people's intellect and all of a sudden white folks are going to jump up and go, oh, my God, I get it. It's mm-hmm. we, we, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and so you can't keep using the same framing that white people use to keep power structures in place. You can't keep using the same framing. And so my framing really is about how do we begin to actually put this stuff back in the body? Because that's where this stuff ends up showing up between us. And so my, my basic mooring definition of mm-hmm. white body supremacy is that the white body is the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured structurally and philosophically. Now, when I say that, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the white body at some point gave up being Scottish, Hmm. gave up being British, gave up being French, gave up being Portuguese, gave up being Spanish, gave up being Dutch. It gave that up 
and was seduced by the idea of being white. The construction of whiteness is not a construction that indigenous and black people created, right? Mm. And so that construction is very, there is a lot of investment in that construction, right? Yeah. To be able to determine that a person is human based on pigmentation and that pigmentation is the standard of that pigmentation mm. of humanness is white. What that does is divorces the white body from the rest of humanity. This racial hierarchy ends up positioning itself where the white body is the supreme standard and the black body is the deviance from that standard, right? And the indigenous body is invisible, right? Mm. And so what ends up happening is that those concepts of who is human and who is not gets woven through every structure, right? And it becomes decontextualized over time. That if you are in a white body in this world, in this, in, in this world right now, if you are in a white body, you are advantaged mm -hmm. simply because you are in a white body. Any world that's constructed on the white body being the standard of humanness, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that also means that any world that's constructed like that, any world that is positioned like that, anybody that is not white is disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to have some bobos who hear me say that and say, well, I have a friend of mine who's very wealthy and he's black and he's a look, I'm not talking about individual. I'm talking about structure. Yeah, I'm talking about how this thing plays out. I'm talking about who who is at the top of these power structures, the economic power structures, the military power structures, the, the scientific power structures, the philosophic power. You understand what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And so, and so for me, my, the lexicon that I use is an emergent lexicon. It's constantly changing. Right. So I don't say, I don't say white, uh, white privilege anymore. I say white advantage. Right. Mm. Because what I'm trying to get people to understand is that developing a somatic abolitionist mindset really means that we begin to have a different philosophy by which we are moored in the world, by which we navigate the world. And you can't keep using white supremacist framing mm. <laughs> if you want liberation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never going to work. It's that Einstein, no problem was uh, solved using the thinking that creates it at all. It's something you, along you, those lines. Yeah, right? you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's that. So, yeah. so, so a lot of my language is emerging from coming up out of community by me interacting with people, saying these things, and then somebody else goes, yeah, what about that? And I'm like, oh, I like that. And mm. then so, so the language is not just coming from me. It's coming from my interactions with people and doing this thing. And so there's actually this kind of glue that's starting to become developed in the construction of this language and in the construction of the kind of philosophical structure of this thing. Yeah. yeah. I really want to get into where the thinking was born from. Um, yeah. I, I saw, I got very excited that you studied with Bessel van der Kolk and Rachel Yehuda. I think you kind of been yeah, inspired by yeah. neuroscience that's as right. well. But that's right. would you kind of speak a bit about, I suppose, the um, the, the the premise of trauma being uh, passed yeah. down? Uh, yeah. How that works? Yeah, epigenetic. So my working theory is that, let me give you an example, okay? Mm -hmm. If 
somebody, like in my private practice, Hmm. sometimes I work with uh, women who have been raped. Hmm. And the trauma of that is not just the trauma that impacts their thinking, right? The trauma that impacts their vibratory sense, like how they vibe in the world, how they sense the world before anything is done and said, how they pick up on the vibes in the world. So it it impacts that. Mm. It impacts the thinking and the images. It impacts the meaning making. Like how how do you make meaning not just about the rape, but how do you make meaning about life, right? right? It impacts the behavior and the urges. It impacts the affect and feeling. And it impacts the literal sensation and sensateness of the person. So how their skin, how they experience their skin, how they experience taste, smell, hearing, sensory pieces. And so I spend a lot of time helping them with things like orienting and grounding and self-touch and we go very slow in movement, right? We go very slow because what I want to do is impact their sense of safety and comfort and calm and empowerment. I want, I want to, I want to help, but you can't go very fast because the protective energy is so quick, right? I'm working with the very hormones in their body. Like the, the protective hormones, the overexpression of cortisol, the overexpression of epinephrine, overexpression of adrenaline, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm working with that in the body, right? Right. And it's a slow process because so many things get connected together that you have to slow it down so you see what's in there and begin to pull it apart and then watch the energy slam back together to protect and then work with it some more and help people kind of condition and temper themselves. That's what one body. Now compound 250 years of state sanctioned rape of my people. Mm. 250 years of state sanctioned brutality in which every woman that was black was raped starting at the age of 10. And this happened for 250 years. There was no reprieve. If you ran, you were murdered. If you stayed, you were brutalized. So when we're talking about something like that, the idea that we can just think our way out of what gets passed down. So if you take the, 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 the women that were being raped by everybody on the plantation, mm-hmm. state sanctioned, however, legal rape. Yep. This is key. Mm-hmm. Legal rape, not outside of the boundaries, legal rape, right? Mm-hmm. And the amount of cortisol that's in that the one body compound that by four million bodies. Right. The amount of cortisol, both individual and communal cortisol, that is that is impacting the musculoskeletal system. Yeah. The brain architecture, the cardiovascular system, the reproductive systems. As you put babies in there. Hmm. 
whose nervous systems are being developed, whose 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 psoas is being developed, whose uh, 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 vagus nerve is being developed, whose spine is being developed in that pool of cortisol. Yeah. And then time decontextualizes trauma. So what happens is, is that trauma in a person can look like personality over time. Trauma in a family can look like family traits over time. Trauma in a people can look like culture over time. And we don't and, and we don't account for the amount of trauma that gets passed down decontextualize and and because it happened pre-verbally unable to verbalize it and i'm talking about both individual and collective and so when i'm talking about somatic abolitionism that's what i'm talking about you have to address that and now we always talk about how to address that like what happened to black people and indigenous people during that time what we don't talk about is that most white folks who are in America came here fleeing something. Indeed. They came here fleeing something. Other white bodies mm. that never got dealt with. They created a structure to deal with it by actually creating whiteness. In that way, they could take all of that energy and blow it through black and indigenous bodies. Right. That mm -hmm. fleeing energy showed up in Australia, that fleeing energy showed up in South yeah. Africa, mm -hmm. that fleeing energy showed up in New Zealand. Right. That energy showed up mm -hmm. because many of those bodies were being brutalized by other white bodies. Right. Mm -hmm. Having land taken, having having brutality and mass rapes and all of that different type of stuff. Right. All of that, mm -hmm. all that stuff never got resolved. And white supremacy, white body supremacy was a salve to soothe that wound. Right. This sort of never wanting to be uh, subjugated or brutalized again. Right. Without yeah. so much thought going into it. Um, That's it. Yeah. And not just thought, not really any examination of it. Mm. There was no examination of of the brutality that those bodies had experienced. There was no slowing down right. of what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got all of that being passed down generation to generation in white bodies and then different things being passed down in, in black bodies and indigenous bodies. How do we get to a place where, where we're able to deal with things within our living bodies? I yeah, mean, you yeah, know, not, not yeah. kind of passing it on for the next generation. To deal yeah, with. yeah. Culture building. Yeah. You have to create a culture. See, race, the concept of race has a four and five hundred year charge to it. Hmm. It has a four or five hundred year texture to it, speed to it and weight to it. And so every time people say, well, let's just. Talk about race and everybody's stomach goes, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. Right. It's because we know that there is not a container that can actually hold the charge of that yet. And especially in white bodies, 
White bodies are, when it comes to the concept of race, because white bodies have been standardized, white bodies are, as a collective, infants mm. when it comes to race. Because you don't, you have not had to navigate white bodies, even though they benefit from the brutality of racism. The racism on bodies of culture has a racedness to it. What, what, what I mean by that is that race has been put upon other bodies. So therefore, white bodies really don't have to contend with it. And let, let me say one more thing. Yeah. The race question in this world is actually not a race question. It's a species question. It has always been philosophically a species question. Is Resma a monkey? Hmm. That has always been the question, right? Right. And that 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 question has been woven in and out and through every economic structure that exists, every institution, every military structure that exists, right? And so the idea that I am not human. Mm-hmm. is the answer to that species question. And this is why anti-Blackness, this is why indigenous invisibility is so rampant, regardless of what landmass you're on. The darker you are, the more subjected you are to whether or not structures view you as a valid human being. Yeah, That's not a rule I made up. I'm simply reading what has been put here. And that is the race was another word for species, species or ras or ras of dog, ras of bird, right? That idea Mm -hmm. is about species. And so this is why you get things like three fifths of a human. This is why you get things like killing the Indian so you can save the man. That's why you have these Aborigines types of things that are said about those is because if you listen closely, you can hear the speciesness in it, right? Right. Um, And the only way we're going to address that is by creating a culture that can hold what it takes for those things to cook in white communities. White communities have to do this work, not coming to save me, Mm -hmm. right? But they have to do this work with each other. They have to get, white people have to get intimate, not freaky intimate, but they have to get intimate with, <laughs> with, with, with white people as it relates to race. Yeah. Bodies of culture have to do the same thing, but we have a different work, different job to do, right? There's different work for us. And many times people want to slam these two bodies together without paying attention to that charge. And then people end up getting wounded and re-wounded and hurt in the process. Yeah, right. Which is white people turning to their black friends and saying, tell me what I'm doing wrong, right? You know, like wanting you to teach us as well as uh, bear your pain. Yeah. Without paying. (laughs) (laughs) Without paying us, right? That's the killer Mm. is that our bodies have been constructed with each other in such a way that the white body expects my deference. Mm -hmm. It demands my deference. It demands that I make it comfortable, right? White people have not even begun to uproot that. 
Mm-hmm. They, they haven't even began to understand that there is a demand that white comfort trumps my liberation. White comfort trumps my safety. For most of our history together, the white body has had full and unfettered access to my body and bodies that look like mine. Think about that for a minute. It is relatively new, Ryan, that I could be sitting up here talking to you right now, the way that I'm talking to you, talking to a white man, the way that I'm talking, and be somewhat sure that when I go upstairs and I open my door, that there's not going to be a lynch party waiting for me. Yeah. That's new. That's that's new. That the white body has had full and unfettered access to every orifice of my body, Hmm. every idea of my body. The fact that I have just the modicum of stewardship over my own body is a new occurrence in this country and in white nations and and in colonized nations. That is a new occurrence. And that ain't work for me to do. That's work for white folks to do. White folks got to excavate and do this stuff. And that's the only way it's going to change. It ain't going to change with Resma giving you 111 tips on how to (laughs) do, right? It's going to change it because y'all get together with each other and y'all start building a living embodied anti-racist culture. Yeah. Yeah. And look, people are self-interested. I mean, you know, wonderful if we we want, but. Beautiful. Well, I was, I was watching uh, David Attenborough's got a new documentary out on animal extinction and watching that like head in, in hands, just going, we're not getting it. We're not doing mm-hmm. what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And it's only in the documentary when he starts talking about how this is all going to deeply affect us too, right? That you kind of feel yourself perking up. And uh, uh, I, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> right. And now for a quick message from our sponsor. Levitate is proud to present Levitate On Demand. All the classes you love now on demand at any time and any place. Featuring tens of hours of classes ranging from five minutes to an hour and covering themes like gratitude, compassion, setting intentions and letting go you're sure to find the perfect meditation to fit your schedule and your mood to find out more head to ondemand.levitate.london that's one word ondemand.levitate.london so what are you waiting for a world of meditation awaits at levitate on demand and now back to the show What's it going to take for white folk to get that this is in their interest too? Right. So right now, as we speak, Hmm. California is burning. Yeah. Right? California and the the West Coast is on fire. You got ash and fires in Seattle, ash and fires in California, right? Yeah. People's houses are being burned. People built houses uh, right in a burn zone and all that different type of stuff, right? Mm. And you, they're, they're interviewing people and white women are crying, saying that they lost everything. And, you know, white women's tears will move a nation. 
an indigenous woman's tears ain't gonna move a black mm -hmm. woman's tears ain't gonna move but a white woman crying some got to get rectified right right and so you're watching these fires and you're watching people watch their their whole uh sense of self and community get burned right and for me i think that those things have to happen in order for people to actually go through the clean pain mm -hmm. of growing the up sometimes you don't grow up because your dad says hey come here boy if you do that again here's gonna be the problem sometimes sometimes that works sometimes your dad goes gone let me see you keep busting your head the way that you're busting your head maybe that will teach you <laughs> yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's what you need to have happen before you get to the point to where you say, mm, this life, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I can't do this no more. There's a cleanness in that. There's a clean pain in that, right? Yeah. White people keep choosing dirty pain when it comes to race. They keep choosing the ways around this as opposed to going through it. And things are getting so tight right now that bodies of culture all around the world are basically saying, nah, you yeah. ain't doing this no more. Yeah. I'm done. We are not going back to that type of relationship. We're not doing it. And so I have a tendency to start with five superpowers, right? The five superpowers that constructed and benefited and had their self-interest. See, people think that racism and white supremacy and white body supremacy is about hate. It's actually not about hate. It's about self-interest. Yeah. Right? Hate, hate is a useful byproduct of self-interest, <laughs> right? right? Elite white bodies staying in power Right. In whatever, whatever, whatever levels of power you're talking about, whether it's economic power, whether it's positional power, whatever levels you're talking about, this is about self-interest. And so the organizing structures and the organizing superpowers of white body supremacy were England, France, Portugal, Belgium and Spain. Right. They developed relationships with each other, philosophical relationships with the scientific relationships. They shared those pieces around who black people were, who indigenous people were. They, 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 they. so somebody in, in Belgium writes something about the scientific size brains of, of black people. And then somebody in England repeats it. Right. Right. Without checking the results. Without checking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's about self-interest. Right. Right. And, and keeping power in the hands of a few. That's why white supremacy and white body supremacy has such utility is that people actually benefit from it. You're not going to get around this. And until white people are able to get to a point culturally by developing a culture that can hold that. See, when you develop a culture, you set up rules of admonishment. You set up rules of acceptance. You set up ways in which you navigate space, ways in which you are tied to the earth, right? When you're talking about culture, you're talking about your relationship to all things. Hmm. And so until white people begin to do that and create a, what I call a somatic abolitionist culture, a, a living embodied anti-racist culture, 
their perceived and embodied self-interest will supersede any amount of intellect that you want to impart on white folks, right? Yeah. Until white people start to begin to excavate this stuff with each other. You can do documentaries all day long, and I'm not saying people need to stop doing documentaries. I'm saying mm -hmm. you have to take the information in those documentaries and white folks have to grind up against each other with it, and they're not doing that as it relates to race. Oh, man. <laughs> it's heavy, right? It's heavy. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. That's what I mean by the weight. There's an embodied weight to that, right? It's weighted. Yeah. And we don't, we don't account for yeah. it. No, you're right. You're right. There's, there's that kind of fear response, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the tightening of, of mm -hmm. chest and breathing gets a bit. Exactly. Things going on just at the mere thought of, the amount of work that that might take. To, exactly. You know? but, uh, I, but, but, but let me say something about that, Ryan. So you, you just, as a white man, you said, you know, the chest tightening at right. the mere thought of it. And with your chest tightening is what I live every day. Do you see what I mean? That's the piece. And many white people are all right. Oh, you can do that. I'm not doing that. Right? right. Your chest tightening and being tightened and participating in a white body premise structure that is shortens your life in a black body by seven years, Rasma. I'm all right with that. And I'm not saying you're saying that I'm saying as a white collective, yeah. as long as I don't have to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable, I'm all right with Jews dying seven years earlier. I'm all right with black women dying in childbirth on average more than any other people. I'm all right with it, with the infant mortality rate of mm. black. You know what I mean? In a country like America, having the infant mortality rate and black women dying in childbirth at the rate that they're doing, you're all right with that. Because if you can stay comfortable by not having your chest or your stomach or having to kind of, and then yeah. hold it, not for now, but hold it for the rest of your life and then hold it with your children so they can begin to transform. You ain't willing to do that. So don't come to me and tell me you're an ally. Mm. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Your allyship is cursory. Yeah. It's agreeing with things on an ideas level. Yeah. Uh, going, yeah, I want to ally myself with that. That sounds like the right thing to. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying do, but you mean that's think. Right. It seems that's like right. the right thing to think. That's exactly, that's exactly right. My life. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. I'll give a little money to somebody's uh, GoFundMe page. Mm. I'll put a Black Lives Matter sign. I may even show up to a couple of meetings. I may even get arrested. But when it get too hot, I'm gonna cut my blonde dreadlocks mm. and I'm gonna move out to a suburb, and nobody ain't gonna never know I was in the mix. Yeah. I married this little white boy or this little white girl. We're going to have some little white kids and we're going to keep it moving. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And yet I'm still, I'm still stuck. I'm still having to navigate this bullshit that your ancestors created. Mm -hmm. That's the piece. Yeah. It's self-interest. It's not about hate. Hate is a useful byproduct of self-interest. Yeah. The, the hate is thinking it might get taken away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's the fear. Yeah, that's where it gets kindled. Yeah. So tell me a bit about the work you're doing now. So you're still a practicing psychotherapist, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had to pull back on that a little bit recently is because I'm holding so many people's nervous systems right now that I don't have a whole lot of space 
uh, as much space as I used to have to do yeah. it because this embodied work is different than just coming in and, you know, Freudian out of people is it's, it's different thing is it's different than psychoanalysis uh there is a cost and so i'm trying to really balance my own self-care mm-hmm. and communal care with the fact that people kind of need me right now um so I'm, I'm trying to strike a balance with that and so I'm, I'm finding that I'm doing a lot more of this type of stuff with, you know, mm-hmm. podcasts. I'm finding that I'm doing a lot more workshops uh, online. I'm doing, you know, body specific um, uh, experiences online, giving mm-hmm. people like some of the language stuff, like like the language, some of the language stuff is important because I think I've had people tell me, Resma, it was so good to hear you say that this is something I've been thinking my whole life and you put words to an embodied experience that I could not articulate. Yeah. Right. And I think my role right now is to do a lot of that is to help those people that are moving in and moving in this world, help them. Number one, know that they are not defective and that exactly what they thought was going on, exactly what their body was telling them was going on is absolutely 100% true. Hmm. Um, And all I'm doing is helping them develop a language for it, words for it. So they don't think they're individually crazy or defective. And I think right now that's my role is to, I'm writing my next book now. I'm creating classes online. I have a free online class at resma.com. I did. Um, it was, it yeah, was great. Yeah. 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 What'd yeah. you think? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd be interested in hearing that. What'd you yeah. think? I loved it. Felt like mm-hmm. I was kind of rubbing up against a whole bunch of ideas that I'd, I'd never come across mm. in my travels so far. Um, mm-hmm. It was moving and it made me feel uncomfortable so i yeah. think that was uh, yeah. that's yeah. you know normally when things feel uncomfortable right you know some kind yeah. of growth is that's exactly possible right. too that's exactly um, right yeah that's exactly right yeah i tell people all the time the thing that you do well you already do it well mm-hmm. there's no growth there <laughs> yeah <laughs> the growth is in the shit that you don't want to do the growth is in the stuff you don't do well that's what all of the energy is and most people don't understand that that's what all of the heat is over is mm. over in that in that place you know marshawn lynch talks about that idea as beast mode and uh, kobe bryant used to talk mm. about the mama mentality what they were talking about is pushing yourself in areas that are so uncomfortable that you actually that's where the growth area is right so yeah. i could never i uh, uh, i could never go left i could never go left everybody knew i couldn't go left and as lo- and and i could go right like nobody's business i can <laughs> i can go right and dunk on people and go right and do like nobody's business uh-huh. and unless i went to the area that made me uncomfortable made me feel inadequate unless i went to that area i was never going to actually know who i am who i am is actually over there not over there Hmm. and so the who i am is actually and who i'm I'm going to be is actually in the uncomfortable not in the comfortable yeah yeah and that's the work isn't it that's uh doing the reps doing the reps it's the reps, man. It's the it's, it's like anything else. How long you been doing this 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 podcast? Since last Christmas, so it's it's kind of new. How many podcasts have you done? Ten so far. Okay, 
Okay. Are you different even in a slight way? Ah, uh, yeah. Different now than you were when you first started. Man, the first one sucked so badly, I didn't put it out, right? <laughs> we played it to a few friends. They said, yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah. And, and yeah. But yeah, you yeah. didn't stop. No, but you didn't no. stop. No. But you, you Every time I do it, right, I kind of feel like something something went better, right? That's like right. That's right. Not more comfortable, but something was changing. That's right. Improving. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You. The thing is, is that you have to go through the suck phase. Yeah. You know, one of the things that when I was over in Afghanistan that everybody said over there and people would say to each other, like, we'd be sitting around and it's a hundred and freaking 25 degrees and we'd be sitting around and some people would be like, oh, my God, my Jesus, right? It's, it was just crazy, right? And, and then and then on Kandahar, where I was, uh, my, my main base was, they didn't have a sewage system. So all of the poop got dumped into these ponds all around the base, right? Now, think about this. Think about 125 degree heat and open poop ponds. Think about the smell of that, right? Yeah. And what everybody would say when people would just be like, you go into the DFAC and you're eating your food and you still smell it. And you're like, oh, my God, oh my God, right? And, and what everybody would say is, man, you here now, embrace the suck. Let's yeah. just, you just got to embrace the suck. You got to embrace it. It is what it is. Embrace it until it ain't this, right? Yeah. And, and that's the way I actually do think about race and white people's work, right? Hmm. When it comes to race, y'all going to have to embrace the suck of this. You're going to have to get through the suck in order to get on the other side. Because in actuality, part of the suck is y'all reclaiming your humanity. You gave up some of your humanity in order to participate in whiteness. Mm. So yeah. the suck is actually you starting to get back to a place where you reclaim your humanity and get back in line with the rest of humanity, as opposed to being uh, the arbiters of what humanity is. You make a, a really powerful point there, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm not doing this podcast, mm -hmm. I teach meditation and mindfulness in companies and mm -hmm. to individuals and groups. And mm -hmm. uh, I feel like a, a lot of what we're doing there, I'm, I'm forever saying this is an embodied practice, right? Because everyone's coming to it, hoping they're going to be able to calm down that crazy whirlpool of, of thoughts, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah, no, that might happen, but that's going to be... That'd That's be it. like a benefit, you know, further down the line. That's um, it. But for now, we're just going to have to sit with the uncomfortable feeling of That's it. sitting. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the piece is that race has such a charge to it. The static of it, whiteness has made the static of race less visceral mm. for white folks. Mm. Right. And what actually has to happen is the opposite. It has to become more visceral for white folks. That the static has to increase. The mm -hmm. It has to get louder for white folks, right? And I think that's where, where I'm saying white folks have to get more intimate with each mm -hmm. other, mm -hmm. is that in getting in those rooms together and committing to the rest of our lives to coming back together and, 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 and uprooting this stuff is going to bring a tremendous amount of static and heat 
right? right? And you build the container, the thickness of the container to hold that charge, right, over time. But if you think that you're just going to do this and then you're going to hit some type of Shangri-La moment or some type of Nirvana moment um, in race, you're fucking delusional. There yeah. is no, if you're getting in this because you think that you're going to reach a place mm. where things go, <sighs> that's so nice. You don't do this. You don't just go do something, become a brick mason. Go do some chimney work, right? Go do, go, <laughs> you know what I mean? Pave some roads, but don't do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah, actually sitting with that energy long enough for it to transform you, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You start to begin to see. I was talking with a client the other day. I do uh, do executive coaching online. Mm. I was talking to this client. She's a very, 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 very accomplished woman. She's tearing up and she says, you know, I have some sense of where I want to be, but I don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I said, I get that. I said, I get that. I said, but it's kind of like you're standing in front of a marble block that's, that's 12 feet high and eight feet wide. I said, and... Mm. you're in there someplace. Yeah. And what you're doing right now is you're contemplating how you're in there. And what I'm saying is you got to get to the business of carving. Mm -hmm. All of this contemplating and trying to see yourself in that is not how this happens. This happens because you get the reps in every day of hitting that block and moving and watching things fall away and watching things fall away enough and get enough reps into you go oh that's a little clear okay hit it again and something falls off you goes okay okay right mm -hmm. but if you ain't carving and you're just sitting there looking at it yogaing your way through this meditating your way through this buddhism your way through this christianing your way through this Musliming your way through this that ain't gonna work no that ain't gonna work when it comes to being transformed and transforming you got to get to the business of chopping and burning and having things burn away so you can see yourself more clearly mm -hmm. right but if you're just standing still contemplating the the how the earth turns on this axis and whether or not we're all one brother you if that's all that you're doing hmm. that ain't this that ain't this race has the ability to cook in ways because it's 400 years old yeah. 500 years old it has the ability to cook in ways that no other thing can i've had yoga practitioners call me and say resma i'm doing the same thing you're doing i you're not doing the same thing i'm doing mm. You think you're doing the same thing I'm doing. You're doing, what you're doing is you're soothing people down mm. when they actually should be working with the heat, right? I'm not trying to zen the, the, zen the out of this. Mm -hmm. Zen is fine. Buddhism is fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, right? But that ain't this. That's not somatic abolitionism. That's mm. not this. And mm. people get that confused. Yeah.
So um, we're we're getting to the end of our episode, sadly. Yeah. But um, you know, well, hoping, hopefully we'll get you back. But absolutely. How do you look after yourself? Uh, what are your uh, mechanisms? So I do comedic yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some martial arts. Uh, I've been walking, and you know, I was doing a lot of push-ups and a lot of jumping jacks and stuff right now. I've I've eased off of that a little bit I've, because I'm just so fatigued right now. Yeah. Um, it's a collective fatigue. It's not just me, but my community and my ancestors uh, were and are very tired. So um, I've been trying to reorient to doing smaller things, like doing more stretching, um, um, getting back. I hadn't been doing the comedic yoga for a while, but I'm getting back into it mm-hmm. um, again. Um, and so I'm just just trying to bring little pieces back in. Yeah. You know, you know, it doesn't help every couple of days the state murders another indigenous body or another black body that another brown body or puts yeah. Latinx babies in cages, Mexican babies in cages. And, yeah. Um, that don't help. So uh yeah. Yeah. Hard not to get just so caught up in in that news cycle right uh yeah that's one of the things i've started to do also is turn the tv off more i don't i I don't have the tv on a lot anymore please do just keep on looking after that black body all right i appreciate you we need voices like yours and we need the work you're doing so thank you for saying that yeah and um look is is there anything uh i'll put it all in the show notes but is there any place you want to direct the listeners to just good just have people two things Go to resma.com, R-E-S-M-A-A.com, and then uh, go to Resma Menachem, um, M-E-N-A-K-E-M on uh, Instagram, and, and and follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to uh, get as many people on there because every I send out free content. You do that too. Mm-hmm. I send out free content four or five times a week, just uh, little small pieces that people can use to kind of help them orient. So. Amazing. And uh, go go out and buy Resma's book as well. That's it. My grandmother's hands. It's coming to the UK in January. It'll be in the UK in January. Amazing. Through Penguin. Yep. Amazing. Hey, listen, yeah. Resma, th- thank you so, so much for your time. It's been thank an absolute you, man. honor. And yeah. um, look after yourself, all right? I appreciate you. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Hey, folks, it's Ryan here. I want to say a big thank you for joining for this episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate and share it with a friend, and support this show by supporting our sponsor, and head on over to www.levitate.london. And a huge thank you to Resma Menachem, who teaches us that silence is not an option, and we need to embrace the suck. Thank you also to the composer of the show's theme, Nick Nell. And until next time, take care of yourself, and I'll see you back here for another episode of Levitate with Ryan Nell.